Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monster, your go-to for engaging marketing content, like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast, it's your marketing powerhouse. Visit contentmonster.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com. Welcome to Season 2 of Under the Hood, a podcast series brought to you by Synapse. In this series, hosted by Synapse founder and CEO, Samkat Patak, Under the Hood takes a deep dive into various challenges and opportunities in fintech. Topics range from technical design and architecture to regulatory and policy challenges. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today for Season 2 Under the Hood. In this episode, we will evaluate how current identity, fraud, and AML solutions and stacks are built, what is working and what's not, and what changes need to be made for hyperscale. To join in and chat more about this, I'm joined by Hershey, who's the CTO of Yieldstreet. If you don't know Yieldstreet, Yieldstreet is an alternative investment platform that allows people to be able to invest in various kinds of investment projects, including real estate. Let's dive in. Hershey, thanks for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to chat with you. Today, we're going to talk about identity fraud and AML. Uh, to give everyone some context, we started this conversation, I think, like a few years ago, not even recently. Then we yeah. did a version of this at the Yield, your podcast. And now uh, when I was kicking off season two, I was like, let's let's start with this again. Um I'd love to hear your high-level thoughts on the subject matter. And I think we can pretty much take all three of them sequentially. Maybe we can start with identity and fraud and kind of really want to hear you as someone who's building a consumer-facing fintech, um, what are the pain points around identity and fraud that you wish were easily solvable that you're either having to work around technically or you're having to use service providers mm -hmm. to work around. How big is this problem? Why does it matter? That's actually, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of the, it's a great question. And it's one of the ongoing challenges for any um, regulated and especially consumer facing um, uh, FinTech or, or any, any kind of enterprise that involves um, that has the potential for, malfeasance for potential for gaming the system, let's put it that way. So Yield Street, as you know, uh, we are an investment platform. We're an alternative investments platform, uh, which at the simplest level is we provide investment opportunities for retail investors, everyday people like you and I, to invest in uh, products outside of the public markets. As you know, what's happening in the public markets in the last few weeks, this make, make, it's, it's a really interesting and, and um, an enticing option. Uh, of course, as to provide the service, we need to move money. We need people to open accounts. We need people to move money onto the platform and then deploy that into our investments. Uh, this is where, uh, and of course, you've been our partner uh, on this journey right from the get-go. And uh, we worked through all of these challenges together. So what is the biggest kind of um, challenge we have or any consumer platform has whose, whose business model depends on? you know, having as many retail consumers come onto the platform and have and provide a as low friction or it's not nothing's really frictionless, but as low friction a path to the action that we want them to take, in our case to invest in our products, right? 
So some of the prerequisites, some of the, the, the hoops that they have to jump through, the walls that they have to, uh, to cross over to get to the point where they can invest in our products involve this very critical piece of identity verification. Um, because that is the first step, one of the first steps that they have to go through to be able to open a bank account with, with, uh, with us, effectively with Synapse, uh, and fund it, right? So our challenge, and this, this actually happens to be, and I, I'm, I, I'm fairly sure that we're not the only ones in, t- in this boat where this is our biggest drop-off point. You know, this is the, any, any time an, uh, a user that is, uh, that is literally pampered, rightly so, by some of the most beautiful, smooth experiences on uh, digital experiences that you see on the apps today, when they encounter a wall, their first instinct is to like, oh, forget this. I got to, this is too much. And I don't want to give my social, I don't want to give my, you know. So at the same time, this is an absolutely critical point in the journey because while we want as many consumers on the platform, as many investors on the platform as, as possible, we also want to make sure that we are protecting us and them from um, bad actors, right? And knowing the uh, financial pipes that you have built the platform over, it is, I literally like to call it the Swiss cheese of protocols. Like, you know, there are so many loopholes that you can exploit to kind of game the system. So how do you, how do you, as a consumer platform, this is something that we deal with on a regular basis and we dealt with on a uh, right since the get go. How do we build an experience that is delight, that is smooth, that is, uh, dare I say, enjoyable, while at the same time keeping us and our investors safe and identity and all the three things that you that that we're going to chat about are 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 kind of these three delicate balancing acts that we need to perform um, uh, on this on this consumer journey. I think there are a couple of points that I think are very valid, right? So the first piece to which you said you kind of zeroed in on identity. Uh, which mm-hmm. implicitly, because we've had this conversation, so I know your perspective on this yeah. as well. These are three different swim lanes. Most people conflate them together, which is identity verification, yeah. fraud mitigation, and then unusual activity, which is mostly turns mm-hmm. into AML monitoring. If we zero in on this identity piece, the piece you're mentioning, which is quite interesting and a good perspective, is there's a side to identity verification, which is just regulatory compliance. And there's a side to identity verification that is all about protecting the customer. So what, what is the right approach? Like what, given that this one thing I've said this to people before as well, I feel like financial services in its truest and best embedded form is far more engaging than social media. Uh, But the barrier to entry to your point, it being the biggest drop off point is much higher than what it is for Twitter. So you as literally the CTO and someone who's building this product and this experience, how mm. do you think through this problem? What, where do you think are the right trade-offs and what do you think we're still lacking technically that we need to be able to overcome? I think that's, that's, a, that's a, almost like a multi-pronged question. So let me try. So yeah. one of the things is, let's, let's focus on you're absolutely right because identity uh, verification or KYC um, is a is a lateral concern to fraud and 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 um, and AML and all of the other uh, kind of ongoing pattern based things that we need to screen for. But 
how do you approach the question of identity, which is a point in time event that happens in the journey of a consumer, right? So when someone comes in, there is a, there is literally a, at this, at this timestamp, your identity was verified. We have, we deem you to be a safe consumer or not. And at that point, the identity part is over technically. So the first question that we, we that we kind of like, uh, and just to kind of like keep keep the focus on identity a little bit, my, and and even keeping the question of uh, the concern of friction and user experience aside a little bit, I often find myself in questioning: Is that even enough? First of all, is that point in time check enough, or is that something like everything else that we need to kind of reevaluate because people may change, right? You know, so that's. That's a legitimate, like, so it, can we faithfully answer the question that a person deemed as safe or trustworthy at a point in time uh, continues to retain that trust level downstream, right? And we've chatted about this in terms of, like, you know, how, how can, uh, how can uh, infrastructure providers like yourself, and there's others as well as you know, uh, help us keep this, um, you know, uh, uh, keep this faith on trust in the user and retain it over the lifetime of that user on our platform. Because one of the things that goes hand in hand with identity is the, is the unfortunate reality of identity theft. So, so someone who was safe and continues to be safe as a physical human that, that was, that was verified may have her identity stolen at some later point and someone may be using that same identity to do fraudulent uh, acts or, you know, uh, so being able to, to continue that trust uh, path for a given user. So uh, over it, certainly over the lifetime of that user on our own platform. And this is true for other platforms as well. So I'd be actually curious to, to hear your thoughts on that, but that's one of the things that we uh, worry about. Uh, and, and, uh, we find ourselves occasionally. So we have, uh, as part of our team, fraud specialists, uh, whose expertise is also in not just uh, identity, but also like transaction fraud, ACH fraud, like uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about shortly. So is there a platform or infrastructure way to enable this? Uh, not necessarily to disengage from the person we have. Of course, he's very valuable and he's providing a great service to us. We need someone with that expertise, but... That's something that if we if if I can um, as as part of the technology build of of Yield Street automate and build controls within our own platform that are then surfaced to our operational staff that okay hey you know we just did our latest scan of our of our active investor base and here's some of the red flags that came up previously trust uh, trust trusted users we've noticed some like you know we we've noticed a degraded trust a depleted trust. That would be a very valuable thing. But like, I, given that identity and fraud are two separate things, but related things, the legitimate, the, the, the question in my mind is really how, to what extent are they really disconnected, given that both are fungible or fluid notions because of mm-hmm. the variety of fraud and, 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 um, and theft that can happen in, in, the, um, in that cyberspace let's put it that way you know it's it's so um all it needs is access to some dark web list and here's here's a dump of everything like here's all the socials yeah. oh yeah and uh, um 
So I, I uh, we've, we've talked about this and you, you've had some interesting ideas, federated centralized identity store. We've talked about blockchain as a solution, but these are all solutions. Like what is the, the, the fundamental problem is in my mind, a very complex one, which uh, wow. as a technology infrastructure provider, I'd love to hear like, you know, well, how would you solve that? Because I would love a solution that I can, a platform solution that I can use for that, you know? Yeah. I think you said two things that are, I think, very profound. The first thing, which because of which I would probably want to change the definitions, right? The first thing you said, mm -hmm. what I heard is like, identity is not just at the time of onboarding. Identity is over, like over a period of time or prolonged trust in a customer. So maybe mm -hmm. the two problems are initial trust and ongoing trust. And ongoing yep. trust encompasses fraud, uh, but other vectors as well. Um, to your question, I can approach this problem um, first as, as pretty much a disclosure, like I am a minimal interventionist. So in my mind, you should do the least you need to, to put barriers in front of people. So with that operating principle, um, for me, when someone's onboarding themselves into a platform like Yield Street, I would want to ask them the least amount of information I need to ask them to ensure mm -hmm. that my high-level goals are met. And I have two high-level goals, operating in a regulated business. And to your point, trying to be responsible about people's identity. The first one is, what do the regulators ask for bare minimum? And the second one is, yeah. what do I need to feel confident enough that the person who's signing up for the platform is not stealing someone else's identity. Yeah. And I would want to ask for like the least amount of information and then kind of like architecturally built this in a way where you have like low, medium, high thresholds. And if you have very low confidence on the user, get more information. If you have medium confidence on the user, uh, uh, collect a little right. bit more. And if you have high confidence on the user, collect as little as regulatory possible to be able to just get them through the process. Um, but then have a different system, uh, which is more predictive in its nature, uh, um, not on the identity corpus that we collected, but more so on mm -hmm. their engagement with the platform that then fine tunes the ongoing trust, which is like, okay, now you're funding your account with $10,000 using ACH in yeah. next, 20 minutes of it clearing, you're not investing it in a vehicle at Yield Street, but you're trying to just withdraw this money into another account. Um, and what does that really mean as a function of the expected behavior versus not and erode exactly. trust or increase trust? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a super valid point because, and, and this is actually something that is not necessarily a global uh, thing for a, even for a given user because of the different nature, different services offered by different platforms, right? You know, for on a so there's a, almost like the the idea of a normality of patterns. Like you know, what is what is considered for a typical investor for someone who comes to a platform like Yield Street with a legitimate interest in investing in our products, rapid moving of money back and forth between multiple linked accounts is simply like you know it is not the use case that that the platform is intended for. So like right there, that's a red flag, but some of these can get pretty nuanced. But to your earlier point, actually, the, the minimalist intervention of 
minimal interventionalist. I mean, that's that's actually pretty. It sounds like the title of a book that you're about to write, the minimal interventionalist. Which is a I good mean, title, you actually. can you can also <laughs> just call it a libertarian. I guess I don't know. It's like, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I don't well, know. Well, it, it sounds a little fancier the the other way. But but actually, that's that's something that is a. Um, that is a that is an interesting area to explore, and I'll tell you what I my thoughts on it. And some of those are things that we are trying to introduce in the platform. Like you know, it's 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 kind of like a reverse burden of proof. Like you know how in, in the in the judicial system in the United States, you know, it's like your your yeah the burden of, the burden of proof is on on the prosecution, right? You know, you're you're yeah. uh, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Then you almost have to take a slightly different approach, a reverse approach. If you want to have a minimalist intervention policy, uh, and uh, aka as reduced friction as possible, you just narrow the swim lane a bit. In the sense, it, 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 effectively, what you're saying, what we, what I'm saying is, if you're a completely new user that I don't know anything about, and I don't have this kind of centralized identity corpus that I can tap into to actually know a little bit more about you. Uh, as a user, uh, based on your behavior elsewhere on the internet, or, you know, especially on financial sites, I'm, of course, going to let you in, I'm not going to maybe you know, slam you with like 15 questions or stuff like that. But I'm going to reduce the amount of things that you can do. I mean, it can be the number of accounts you can link, right? Or the number of the frequency with which you can move money back and forth into and out of the platform, like these little known patterns of fraud, right? That Maybe completely, you know, they, they may not always be fraudulent. In fact, many times they're not, but they're just legitimate things that they need to do. Oh, shit, I wanted to pull money from here instead of there. Let me link the other accounts to the same. You know, these are normal human uh, thought processes that people go through. But to a, to a machine, they just look like, hey, that's weird. So we just kind of um, limit the number of things that you can do. The, and then we look for trust signals, right? Okay, this person has looked at four or five different offerings, has read a bunch of articles on the site. There seems to be a genuine, and if someone's just on the platform to 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 do some kiting and 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 walk away with a few thousand dollars, they're not reading content on our site, right? They they have no intention, they have no incentive to. Yeah. But if we see that, okay, this person has been doing searches on art finance or being uh, actually uh, spent. A good chunk. I mean, there's enough number of tools that that give us give us those heat maps on those reads, right? Okay, well, spent a good chunk of time looking at this art equity fund offering or that uh, diversified art offering. You know, this this is a legitimate user. So there are these little signals that we can draw from user behavior on the site over her life from from her birth on the site to like you know to you know um, and and on an ongoing basis, daily, weekly basis. It's like. We're building trust in this user. And then there's this big trust element where, okay, let's say an initial gate is, yeah, you can only link one account, a funding source. Just just all you need to do is move some money uh, onto the platform. It can be your you know, Chase account. It can even be, you can be moving Bitcoin onto the platform. Now, as of yesterday, you can invest with Bitcoin. Thanks, by the way. Yeah. Um, Super excited. So now... Oh. Yeah, right. It's great, right? Oh. Um, I, we have uh, some things to chat about there as well, but we'll get to that. So now, investment is a very positive signal, right? A, a an actual investment flow that is that goes all the way to confirmation and uh, and 
and and a, a full active investor on the platform. Now that's a big leap in confidence and trust that we have. And now we can start relaxing some of those requirements or constraints that yeah. we have put. It's almost I hate the word probation, but it's really what it is. And it's like we like so now we are we are like the new users and 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 this is kind of like an approach that we have to take until we have a solid, reliable platform that is tapping into a, a, a data vault that is much bigger than what we have access to through, yeah. uh, you know, uh, our KYC providers like you or others. And until then, we'll just we'll just wait for our own confidence to build in in the investor. You do first investment, big step up. You do a second investment, that's it. You're trusted. You're good. You know. Yeah. It doesn't still solve the problem of the ongoing identity thing. So, which is which is something that is I I, I think as yet unsolved. I haven't come across anyone who does, uh, and or maybe I just don't know. But like maybe you do that someone who who kind of continues to vet the safety yeah. and the trust of a given user. Well, there are a couple of technical constraints which you wouldn't have had. You wouldn't have had the data to solve for it until Bass, right? Because uh, uh, worse than the end-to-end lifecycle, before that, you were using point solutions. Somebody did your ACH, somebody did your deposit accounts, money's moving in a fragmented Mm -hmm. way across the ecosystem. But before we get to that, do you think the identity problem can actually be generalized or does it have to be specialized based on some of the approaches you suggested, the engagement of the user with the knowledge base and uh, just the media content that Yield Street puts out? Yeah. Or should it even be generalized? I, I believe there is a substrate that can be generalized because, you know, there is some, I, I may be wrong about this, but from my possibly limited perspective, there is a substrate that that is portable across different types of businesses, whether it's, you know, um, uh, what that is, it's worth discussing, I don't know. But, you know, besides some obvious, okay, if you show up in an OFAC list, okay, well, I don't care what platform you're using, you're, I don't trust you, like, you know, um, but, but that substrate may be pretty thin. But yeah. beyond that, um, uh, to, to, Beyond that, it, it, it kind of, I believe, becomes a function of the specific service you're providing or the product you're uh, you're selling on the platform. And just think about it, right? It's a somewhat far-fetched example, but maybe true for some. Uh, but let's say, <laughs> just to kind of be provocative a little bit, let's say you are an uh, illegal arms dealer, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, and somehow escape the sanction lists and stuff like that. But, but because of this blatantly wrong and illegal business, yeah. you're flush with Bitcoin. You have a lot of you know uh, money. You have a lot of wealth to invest. Now, then this is where that substrate question comes in. But let's say if this person, this this identity, this individual escapes that substrate check because hasn't shown up on any sanction list yet, any, any OFAC list. It comes to a platform like Yield Street, right? Or any investment fintech platform. What are we looking for? We are, we are looking for, uh, for, for us, um, obviously, the, uh, it's, we don't want someone like that on our platform. No one does. But your KYC passed, right? Or some KYC passed because there are, the, the substrate checks didn't, uh, didn't throw up any red flags. And this person obviously has cash. So now our, in our space, the concern becomes now, how do you do, does this person have the money that she says she has, or he says he has to invest in our offerings? Well, they obviously do, you know, 
we're not checking the provenance of every dollar yeah. that's being put on the platform. That's not a solvable problem as far as I know, especially with crypto. So, so now how do you, now this becomes an interesting um, uh, pattern where the, someone who should have passed that substrate uh, shouldn't have passed that substrate did, but now when they get into our product space and our application space, yeah. they're, they're checking all the boxes. They have the money and they are investing hundreds of thousands of tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in our, in our products, which of course is a good thing for us. Right. Yeah. So that, so you asked about, is there a generalizable thing? But I think the generalizable substrate as thin or not thin as it may be, can only check for these like super mega red flags. Like, okay, well, this is an obvious terrorist or obvious, like, you know, some, but beyond that, I'm struggling to think of what it can be that that is not bespoke to some patterns that are, you know, uh, that are, that are specific to a certain kind of enterprise, a certain kind of product. I mean, if this person signs up on a health, health tech, digital health platform, you know, there's no reason for them to have a red flag, right? You know, we're just checking, it's, yeah. you know, just doing blood tests. What do you care? You know, yeah. that, that's, uh, but if there is uh, something that can be built as a general purpose, okay, well, just, you know, uh, that is, there may be clusters of businesses that, that, that can, uh, or types of products that can share the, the, and if you think of it as just kind of like a bit made, uh, bitmap or a risk matrix of, of like, you know, these are the different, uh, vectors. Uh, these are the different parameters that uh, that flip to zero or one based on what, what, what we're discovering. Not all those bits may be relevant to you, but the ones, but there is a set of bits, probably the most significant ones that are. Yeah. That's funny. I think identity could actually be like generalized. I think, uh, well, the snapshot of an identity can be generalized. I think the continuous trust needs to be general mm -hmm. but local at the same time yeah. because i think there are some patterns just like blatantly strange enough that you need to take a look um yeah while there are other patterns that are locally strange enough for you to take a look a good example of this is um by and large for any platform uh the user with little to no trust in the platform coming in and then saying, I'm going to do a million dollars of m money movement, even, even in their mm -hmm. own account, um, is, is strange yeah. enough to look right. Um, For sure, yeah. but obviously like even, even now we see use cases where, uh, 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 the credit card and the debit card activity and the corpus of it varies a whole lot based on the customer segment you're servicing. Uh, but there are approaches where it kind of doesn't matter, right? Like uh, um, another way to think about building out a global uh, ongoing trust system, which we call fraud, um, mm -hmm. is not look at the context of the transaction, but just look at uh, uh, the frequency of the transaction. I think you could get to a reasonably good uh, um generalizable fraud solution or ongoing trust solution with just looking at artifacts like location, frequency, um, um, mm -hmm. like direction, um, uh, and extrapolate what would the user potentially do 
in next one, two, three, four, and fifth node with obviously a depleting probability yeah. score, which which is which is which is no different than like an LSTM model for your text messaging where you have autocomplete. Um, yeah, and you could get to like a reasonably good generalizable solution, but you would still need some localized strange exactly. quarks. Because there are the, the even even the the frequency is is probably a much better indicator than well, actually no even fre- like, there's a few things you can tap into right? the amounts of frequencies the number of disparate nodes that the money is moving yeah. between but uh, you can imagine like let's say like Synapse as a as a platform can power a a consumer facing investment platform like Hillstreet but it can also power like a business bank you know um, where you know or or a uh, or an e-commerce site where maybe the frequency of transactions like uh, uh, is is pretty massive, but the amounts maybe like so. I, I think there is a discovery process with each tenancy, with each with each use case that platforms can learn. Like you know, but what a, a pattern that may be perfectly valid for Row, which is a business bank, uh, may be suspicious for Yield Street. So so I think. Outside of like these ginormous amounts, like okay, well, no one moves a million dollars to ACH. Like even we can't do that right now. If any any amount over a certain, I forget what the threshold is. I believe it's quarter million dollars. Like you know, you cannot do ACH. You have to go through a wire and you have to go through a series of uh, controls and checks. So outside of those, I think, I think, uh, I, I think this is where in the I believe with any any new. Um, use case or any new tenancy in your, uh, from, from your perspective, I would imagine, uh, there would be a, a, uh, a discovery phase, which is actually not just machine driven, but also involves like a frequent, uh, collaboration, like actual dialogue with, with, uh, between like the, the, the infrastructure provider like Synapse and the business like like Hill Street, like, okay, well, let's see, we were beginning our, you know, if you dial back to 2016, when we started our um, integration and on our, and our partnership, we said like, okay, we're going to observe, we're going to launch this on this date, you know, and we're going to start moving all of our investment processing through Synapse. And we're going to have weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever touch points and like identify, okay, well, these are good. These are good. That looks like weird. Okay. Oh, it's a, and now you're you're essentially building a training set, right? For yeah. for a a fraud model that is that has some basic templates, maybe yeah, some axiomatic uh, elements that are portable, that are generalizable. But then beyond that, you're learning about our business. And I think this is how because if you and speaking again specifically about fintech and the kind of uh, and and money movement, which is really at the core of what we're talking about, there's there is not that much of a range if you think about it. Like, you know, it's no. like, okay, there is, uh, there is investment platforms there's banking platforms and there's trading platforms, right. At the, at a highest level. Right. And they all have some, so you can actually maybe build models or baseline models that are specific to the type of platform. It is. is it an investment slash trading platform versus is it a bank? Is it a commercial or retail bank, uh, consumer bank versus a, uh, uh, a business bank, which probably has larger amounts and maybe even larger frequencies of uh, money movement versus, you know, that sort of stuff. Or you, know, you have a lot more products. So there are some patterns to be built on the credit side of things as well. 
But then there is always going to be to really build a a reliable uh, fraud model. You have I, I I don't see a way to get around to to just stay at a generic model level. It's a starting yeah. point, yeah. which then triggers a discovery phase over. I believe like two to three months probably would be enough. Yeah. And now you build a bespoke model that that serves. And, and now you've actually made the space granular a little bit. Now there's other platforms like Yield Street, some of which are clients of yours that yeah. have similar patterns to us because we live in the same space, right? You know, so yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's an, a super interesting problem to solve. One thing I'm curious about as a follow-on to this um which model would you prefer? Would you prefer a permissive model or would you prefer a model that restricts more as as a user of it? Because to your point, if there is a burn down phase of a couple of months, would you rather have mm-hmm. more fraud for a couple of months or would you rather have less fraud and then over time use that to build something more permissive? Well, I would love to have no fraud at all, but that's a pipe dream. Um, I, I, think, I think a more restrictive model that learns over uh, intelligently and becomes less restrictive almost programmatically would be the preferred option and these can, in a way it's kind of what i said earlier that's what we're doing we are wow. we are we are actually limiting the things that initially someone can do and then progressively yeah. relaxing them as as yeah. so so not we're doing it based on human observation we can program if we, if we can uh, automate that through technology. That yeah. would, from my perspective, that would be a better option. In your perspective, in fintech, it's almost better to build out um, at the beginning more restrictions and over time with uh, an increased yeah. ongoing trust, open up more capabilities for the customer. Yeah, you have yeah, questions relax. as well. And y- yeah, I, I was I was going to touch upon like the identity, and the, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the other podcast, and. And that's about the two-pronged nature of KYC, which is really, it's not even two-pronged in, in that sense. It's one after the other. It's like one is like, are you the person you say you are? Yeah. Yes or no. There's a determination. It's not a binary distinction. I know there's a confidence level there. And then once you get past that, okay, now I believe you are who you say you are. Now let me see if you are a good person, right? Yeah. And... um and then, and it's this, the interesting, we, we were talking about the ongoing trust of that. And I was, this was just a thought that was going through my head just now. You almost want, because of the reality of identity theft, you actually need to do both over time. Or at least once you have that initial identity verified, that the, the you are who you say you are kind of thing. And maybe I am sure... Uh, uh, you are building this or you already do this, but here's the hash. Here's my social or whatever hash of my social. Mm-hmm. I'm going to scan all the, all the, uh, all the dark web activity and all of that to make sure that that hash can, is not compromised some way that hash. And like, you know, because, so that part is relatively, I don't know, easy or not, but there are, there are data sources that you can tap into to kind yeah. of keep an on on it's that's what lifelock does essentially or platforms yeah. like lifelock they're just yeah. you know the second part is i think a little bit trickier like i trusted you then are you still a good person are you continuing to be a good person you know which is actually probably not 
something that like someone just doesn't like, you know, I think those two are related. If, if someone who's previously verified and deemed as good suddenly turns out to be bad, nine cases out of 10, it's going to be because of the actual identity being stolen. And I'm guessing, and not because the person really went, you know, yeah, like breaking bad kind of thing. <laughs> or, or, or maybe, maybe. Or maybe, yeah. Maybe. This is what I said, like, it's a smaller probability. Maybe they would like to synthesize crack in um, a trailer park. <laughs> nice blue I colors. Don't, I, I don't know. Uh, no, but I, I actually, I, I, I agree. But wouldn't for the latter case where someone goes Breaking Bad uh, extend itself in their transaction activity because it's how they're engaging with the platform yeah. that would that would just evolve. Um, are there any solutions out there? Uh, you don't even have to name companies, but maybe high-level abstract um, that you think are like quite compelling uh, from an architectural perspective around identity? I certainly get pings from a lot of companies that claim to be, but I have to be honest, I haven't actually um, vetted any. There, there's certainly, it, it's a, it, the space is getting crowded. Um, as to how effective they are? Well, maybe let's, let me ask the question a different way. You as yeah. an engineer, are there certain architectural choices that you think are far better and superior than others? Uh, yes. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I think it's a progression. So there is, there is naive heuristic approaches, you know? Um, I think, and then uh, they can get progressively refined, progressively sophisticated, progressively um, uh, insightful, and, and, and just accurate in general. It, but the thing is, it's, it's, a, it's in my mind, it's a, it's a part architectural and part data availability or corpus availability problem. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, like, ultimately, uh, the architectural solution, to, there, there's no exact solution to this, right? It's all a yeah. probability game. Right. So, so the thing is, what model or models or concatenations of models give you the most high, give you the highest confidence level in a determination one way or another? If someone says someone is fraudulent, what is the, what is the highest likelihood that, and I think, uh, let's leave aside the architectural concerns behind, uh, uh, doing this in a in an efficient way or scalable way that's that's an important point but it's 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 let's leave it aside for a second the, the confidence level itself is um something that you can only rely solve partly architecturally but if you don't have access and if you're not building and learning from an ever-growing corpus and this feedback loop of like okay here's something bad happening here's something good that's like yeah. trust it this is good like there is, there is no, there is only so far that architecture can take you. The real yeah. thing is how do you, how do you provide or how do you access or where is this, where is the richest source of anonymized, hashed, whatever, but richest source of data that can actually drive these models? Because there's any number of models that can do this well, but they're useless yeah. unless you have like a massive, massive corpus to dip into. Yeah. Now, doing this, on a uh, in an efficient and, and fast way is a whole different thing, right? You know, so 
um, you know, any any consumer of a digital product, mobile, web, whatever, is uh, – there was actually some jokes and memes about this. Like, you know, we are willing to wait two hours in line at the DMV to get your uh, license renewed. But if a website takes more than 30, 10 seconds to load, you're like, I hate the site. I'm going to go. You, you don't have that patience. Digital users, and there's nothing wrong about it, like because technology has evolved to that, but digital users or consumers of digital products are massively pampered. You know, they are used to flawless, highly performant, you know, um, <clears throat> delightful, nice colors, nice transitions. This is how it should be, but this is the world we are in. And there is this, uh, and, and this extends not just to like nice uh, screen transitions, but also like speed of operations. Like I want to get to the next thing as soon as possible. And any kind of data processing, any kind of machine learning, it, it's simply not fast, no matter what, you know, it's like, it's, so you're not going to make, if I'm issuing a transaction, like this is like, you know, we talked about RTP and how does that play with, uh, with, with fraud? How do you, um, how do you, can you even architect a KYC or identity verification or fraud or any of these solutions in a way that does not completely degrade the speed expectations that mm-hmm. that, that uh, uh, consumers, retail consumers, have from 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 any of these products that we're building. And yes, there are architectural solutions to that, of course. But they are, you know, as well as I do, it's like you know, yeah you're simulating instantaneous behavior in many yeah. cases. You're kind of like, you know, like actually doing it right away. Yeah. So, I mean, you could do like, a sh- like if assuming that the, the architectural choice made for identity verification is probabilistic, which I think is a safe bet at this point. Um, yeah. You could do like, sh- you, you, you could do shallow models and then deep models later. But to your point, right? Like that is an illusion because shallow models and then a deep model will work really well for a good user, but for a bad user, it'll, or exactly (laughs) when I say a bad user, I mean like the bad user by the model for that user, the experience would Mm -hmm. not be instantaneous because they'll get approved and then they'll get rejected. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and this is, this is, this is the thing that, that we, that we, um, uh, a milder version of this that we actually have to like, you know, well, that we, that we have to go through today where we are, we are restricting the lanes that they can move in until, until they get widened. It's like, but yeah, I mean, like, and let, let's think about like how people who, um, uh, Venmo each other money, right. You know, it's like, it's instant. Like I send it to you, you see it right over there and people would love for every financial transaction that happens to be exactly uh, the same fashion. So I think, I think there are architectural solutions that are, that are very valuable to continue to provide a smooth experience to the end user. But I think there is, there is no, uh, there is no upside to building an elegant architectural solution that necessarily speeds something up because I think this is one of those things that needs to take its time to do its job right because yeah. there is, it's an inverse relationship between the probabilistic element of it, like you said, the shallow model, you want the deep model, like you know. So if that means that 
and, and there are ways to kind of manage that experience as well. Thankfully, now people are used to that where, you know, what, and I've been building consumer facing websites for a while. So you like, you know, you know, the level of frustration and I mean, all of us have been using them as well. So fine. If you're, if I'm executing something and you're telling me like, okay, we'll, uh, you're giving me an instant feedback. Okay. We got your request. It's great. We will let you know as soon as it gets to the next step. And then keeping that line of conversation, that line of communication open so that they're kind of, and Netflix pioneered this back in the 2000s with just like this constant emails, go, oh, we shipped your DVDs. We got your DVDs. It's on its way. How did you like it? So keeping that dialogue going keeps them engaged. And, and when they're faced with the choice of getting the money there quickly or, um, uh, as quickly as possible, but while at the same time making sure that there is no uh, issue with with the money that's uh, that, and we're doing things for your own safety, they're they're receptive to that. So I think uh, I, I think it, it's it's an interesting challenge for from almost like a product design standpoint when we build these digital experiences that are under that are whose underpinnings are are not built to be real time part historically like the flat files that we talked about many times uh, and part just the complexity of the of the problem that you're trying to solve to at the end of the day protect the same user that you're trying to provide that good experience to and of course yourself but like you know yeah. it's uh th there is a good balance to that that uh that can be achieved with uh with proper engagement and communication with with the end user i think yeah you're bringing up a very valid point, and um, the interesting thing is re the, the recent uptake in fintech has come from people that have never done fintech before. So yeah. it's such a <laughs> stark it's such a stark difference in how you're describing in your approach to the problem, um, which I resonate with a whole lot, um, and the approach to the problem with people who are new to the industry, and I think the expectation over there is that because it feels instant, I'm sure under the hood it is instant. And the answer is no. <laughs> it's this. Not. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's and, not instant and it's sometimes manual. So And 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 the thing is there is a way to sell that. Because it, it instant does not always mean good. Instant often means like, okay, well you gotta be careful. You know, and that's why, like, you know, uh, there are there are different like and, and this is this is kind of like an interesting uh, not not so much a segue because we have been talking about fraud and, and especially in the context of money movement. But there is a uh, I don't know who I was talking to, but there's this notion of like, you know, here's the transaction, right? Here's a here's a requested mo movement of money from point A to point B. Right. Yeah. And you have the metadata around it. What is point A? What is point B? Who is point A? Who is point B? Right, uh, and you have hopefully potentially some some historical corpus to tap into for this particular set of endpoints. There is this notion of um, I don't know if you encounter this. This notion of a safe amount, like let's say it's a transaction for ten thousand dollars. Well, I can't like instantly validate ten thousand dollars, but you know, based on the history that I've seen with these, like like two thousand dollars, I can instantly you know. Uh, essentially, it becomes like a fronting. Right? I believe that's what I honestly don't know how Venmo works under the hood. I can make guesses, but there's kind of some kind of uh, advanced 
recover uh, recuperation or not recuperation, like uh, recovery that's happening. Probably there's a pool of money that's being used to front uh, that that money to the to the endpoint and then recovered from the, from the from the source. And there is a safe safe amount concept there. Like okay, well we'll we'll instantly authorize up to kind of how credit limits get authorized yeah. um, and in card issuance. Like this much, I can safely. Uh, uh, authorize to move instantly, instantly, which really is, yeah. like you said, not really instant. It's a yeah. complex process behind the scene. But from a, as long as it appears instant from the end user standpoint, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. So there are these cloaks almost. There are these approaches that, um, that are, uh, and this is just one, I'm sure there are more that, that are trying to, uh, increasingly introduce this hyper velocity, real timeness to what historically and traditionally and, uh, and has not been an instant thing. And in many ways, shouldn't be an instant thing, you know, because of the potential for uh, exploitation, let's put it that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think uh, once. Uh... <laughs> blockchain settlements become mainstream you will also have a chargeback process that would be built on top of it and then we will be back to ground zero which you're gonna have <laughs> instant payment but yeah. then you're gonna have a chargeback process so yeah it's yeah i think it's just a so blockchain for this it's going to be a version of flat files that just happens to be distributed across multiple computers you know? are we talking about flat files again <laughs> well, you know, eventually it comes around to fat files. Right? Always comes. Uh, um, <laughs> you didn't ask me my architectural approach because it's always flat files. It's identity <laughs> verification. That's why I didn't ask you. I yeah. knew I, I, yeah. I knew your answer. But okay. no, but but I'm curious though. Now that you mention it, like I assumed, like like the architectural approach. Um, I mean, you you've built a whole platform using yeah. a certain architectural approach, and like. Uh, obviously, without going too much under the covers, like I, I, I believe you have or you're rolling out soon or have already rolled out uh, uh, RTP as as a as a product offering. How do you how how do you address the how do you balance that with uh, uh, with fraud? Well, so we've been doing real time payments even without RTP for a while because we also do acquiring. So just people can connect mm. their cards and push money to it or pull money from it. Um, and the short answer is, um, we're less worried about what happens to a specific transaction. We're architecturally in our, in, at least in our approach, we're much more worried about what is the whole story of the transaction? So mm. where did the money come from? Where is the money going? Uh, and does that make sense in the grand scheme of things? And I think to your point, um, this is no secret, right? We're currently building ID score and then fraud score. So we're building uh, fraud score, yeah. two products. Um, uh, ID score helps you v verify the likelihood of identity, like help to reduce the likelihood of identity theft. Fraud score is the ongoing engine for transaction activity which is ongoing trust uh, uh, is how you would describe it yeah um and the approach in fraud score is um well basic thesis never ever before in the life 
of fintech and even finance, you've had the opportunity to have one cohesive data structures for all payment types and all of the context sitting in one database. Well, it's not one database, but you get the point, right? Like under the same roof. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So then could you really leverage that to build out something that is a little bit more elegant uh, around ongoing trust? And so far, we feel like that is the case. So uh, uh, the way we're trying to approach this problem um, uh, in FYI, for people listening to this, today Synapse does not provide broad verification, right? Like we don't, we're not, we're not good at it. This is not something we think is our core competency. So we recommend our customers find um, uh, some vendor, which, to Hershey's point, there aren't a lot doing this, or some kind of like localized uh, uh, financial fraud mechanism. Uh, around these problems as well. But I do think there are some things that can be globalized. I do think the frequency, uh, uh, which is the velocity, the context of a transaction and the end-to-end workflow could by and large be globalized to a less permissive model, which can become more permissive based on customer feedback, right? So the way we're thinking Mm -hmm. of extending fraud score out is we're going to come and tell you that we think the customer is in the red path. Red path means most payment capabilities are suspended now. Uh, and we'll tell you the reason why we think that is the case. And you can right. very well so override it and say, now, if you, just build a logic which says, if a customer ever goes into red path for this reason, whitelist this user for like 30 minutes or something like that, whatever. Uh, and then our customers can hijack the global rules with local rules that are much more nuanced and specialized to their personal vertical. Uh, so we're less concerned about like, okay, someone's about to send money out with RTP into their bank account. We're more concerned about they're about to send money out through RTP into another bank account when they only two days ago funded their account to invest or something like that, right? So if you've yeah. just invested, if you've just because that's not the core of our BAS platform, right? We're not like a transaction hop system. We're more so kind of like a banking system. Uh, so if somebody comes in, sure. which simplifies its complexity a little bit, when people come in and they don't park money here, they take it out, that ends up being in mostly all cases uh, uh, not a good sign. Um, and Yeah, especially just doing a drive-by, right? You know, you yeah. come in and you go out the other way. Yeah. Um, By the way, that's one of the reasons, right? So that's like one of the reasons. There are a bunch of different permutations of this. So you actually raised an important point: the localization, like you know, and this is something that we've talked about in the context of just like you know our uh, integration with Synapse, especially around like not fraud score, which, as you said, is still like it's not a no production level product yet, Uh, but ID score, which is the upfront. um, So. Yes, there is a, there is an increasing for, for new users, right? For completely for for people we don't know at all, um, the 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 higher probability, the higher the probability of the verdict issued by the ID score system, um, well, the higher the confidence level of the of the verdict. The better it is for us, and and like it, it actually obviously drives the, but the but there are local realities, the local facts that are derived from contextual data that we as a client have access to that you as a platform as the vast platform don't have access to, yeah. which 
and and there is not even a way to because it's because the entities that we are drawing that inference from are so bespoke to our business, which are not relevant to banking as a as a as a as a as a, as a construct. So being able to do that override, uh, whether it is on an individual transaction basis or just in like let's to simply simply put like okay, well here's. Here's the engine's verdict, right? And this can happen. This has actually happened. You know, we worked on it together. Yeah. Uh, last December, that was fun. Um, but here's the here's the verdict of the engine based on the data available to you as a platform. On me personally, let's say I'm one of the uh, I'm one of the investors on the U3 platform. Yeah. Your engine has a very low confidence in me, uh, low trust in me. This is just a reality. My, yeah. I know my trust score is like forty three percent. Yeah, right. But and and that may be that may be fully valid from whatever algorithms are being deployed to evaluate my trust score. Yeah, but or my ID score. However, Yield Street as a platform has a lot more contextual data about me yeah. that has put me that that would legitimately put me in the high nineties as a as a trusted even at a hundred because otherwise I shouldn't be working here. So. Um, being able to convey that fact to you without necessarily giving the, but just like, you know, flag me as a safe user because Street as a client, as a, as a tenant is telling you that this hash, this user hash is safe, you know, yeah. despite what the ID score engine is. And now you actually have the ability as a platform that powers, and this is, this is that federated identity thing that we talked about and how can we generalize the solution? I'm, an investor on other platforms that I know are also clients of yours, mm -hmm. right? Now, obviously, there are different identities in your platform, but there's a core. I'm the same human. So there is some hash that translates to me that is theoretically portable across tenancies, especially from a platform, SaaS type of platform standpoint. Yeah. So this is some of, one of the biggest values that you as a platform who has that has the benefit of building to a, a picture of a user from multiple tenancies and being, I'm tying them together. I mean, I'm sure you have some notion of this because that, that would be super helpful yeah. and to power your own ID score engine. But that is like, if I tell you, if uh, I meaning Street tells you that Rishi is a trusted user, you can override the ID score auto generated by your engine and say, and now you can port that fact about if you can tie my identity and the yield street tenancy to my identity in some other tenancy uh that is also a client of yours you can port over that because it's unlikely that i'm a possible but it's a low probability that i'm a trusted user on yield street but a completely fraudulent user on a different platform yeah. right as long as you've established that i am who i say i am yeah so so this is a this is a architectural benefit that only SaaS platforms like Synapse. Now imagine if I sign on to a third platform that I just signed up. You know, it's the same social. I'm the same human, and they ha also happen to be a Synapse. So I'll just sail through with a 99 ID score, and I'll, I'll be able to like you know, and that would be a major major um, uh, upside to me as a consumer. Yeah. So and and the platform that's serving me. So I think this is the biggest benefit this is the biggest like it's it's a it's it's the, the the kind of data treasure that platforms like synapse and the infrastructure providers sit on and and being able to um because the only way scalably this problem can be solved is is even going beyond a single like 
a single platform like Synapse, but like almost having like a uh, what's the word like a like a consortium collective yeah. or of consortium, yeah, of uh, consortium of platforms that decide to come up with a a global identity, uh, a global federation of identities that is pulling and and in a very safe, obviously highly encrypted, no PII, but that's completely safe, crypto, uh, uh, cryptographically safe manner, establishing a global identity that can be shared across multiple SaaS platforms and through them across multiple uh, end, end platforms like Yield Street or, or others will be a blessing. Yeah. You know, this is, this is like the data dream, yeah. you know? I mean, and that is essentially the vision to be able to bring onboarding into a financial ecosystem as close to like a social yeah. network that you can, because if you build federated identity mm-hmm. on top of that, you can then build authentication uh, and then port information exactly. from one platform to another. Yeah, I think the federated identity piece is like a much more easier problem to solve. I think the problem that gets even more interesting is um, proximity to users, um, which is like, could you technically get really good at mm-hmm. knowing, okay, well, uh, um, she's related to person X and because they're related, is there a correlative property that we can apply and extend into... Um, to the next person. Oh, yeah, yeah, it could be transitive too, yeah. for sure. Like, if you trust me, you probably would trust my wife as well, yeah. hopefully. If, if I trust my wife, you, and you trust me, you should trust my wife. Yeah. I mean, these these things are transitive, yeah. like, and and it's likely that she has independent, you know, uh, accounts on different platforms, but through that transitive, and she may be new to this, but like through this transitive closure, you can actually, you know, have, <clears throat> extend that, trust level or at least give her a high confidence level yeah. and, and and reduce and like expand relax the guardrails a little bit because it's really hard man it's really hard to build a you know to build a delightful frictionless experience and at the same time be maniacal about protecting our users and ourselves yeah. like it's just a it's 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 it's, a, it's such a delicate balancing act. You talk to some of our engineers that just kind of like you know we play around with all these experiments. Like you know, hey, we'll 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 ungate this and we'll gate this, and they all work in various ways. But at the end of the uh, at the end of the there is there comes a defining moment where I'm sorry, man, you gotta you gotta get through this step one way or another. We'll let we let them go further and further into the flow, but we can't actually start transacting until some key things are taken care of. And so whatever, and, and, and this is the thing, like, you know, this is my dream. Like, you know, let's see if we can make, so federated identity, right? You know, it's like we build up in enough uh, and, and we blockchain is thrown around and probably a good solution for this just, just, from a, just from a lack of central control standpoint. I don't know if it actually adds much more than that, oh. but that's still valuable. Um, it's just one of those like, yes, you, you can, Technically, any problem you can solve with a database, you can solve with blockchain. Yeah. But what is it really adding? So I don't know what it adds here. I mean, but if I can, like, I th- let's. I think blockchain adds a lot of value on authentication, which is once you federated an identity, then not requiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. downstream. Yeah. yeah, for sure, exactly. So that would it would be good to have this on chain, and then like w- w- once you've gotten that past that point. But I, what I want to do is I want to carry a QR code mm-hmm. around with me, which is my identity that I own, because it's me, 
And it's the same identity across any number of platforms that has an established global confidence level. That is assigned to me, not by myself, obviously, but you know, by uh, by aggregation of all of my history. And this this can be, you know, this like the more you interact with digital properties, especially financial digital properties, yeah. you every little thing you do, every little you know deposit you do, every little withdrawal you do, every check you write, every card you swipe, card swipe you, do, they all add up to a, not just a financial picture, but my reliability, a trust picture, yeah. right? Yeah. And if we can cre- figure out this, uh, this federation that then you give the user to carry around with, I, I wouldn't be able to just like hold my phone in front of yeah. uh, a new digital uh, fintech uh, uh, app that I'm, that I'm signing up for and say, hey, this is me. Yeah. Do you think... Th- now you tap into that. Do you think these principles extend beyond fintech? Would would you be comfortable using, let's say Clear comes to you tomorrow and says, hey, I've been onboarding all these people at the airport. Uh, I know their identity really well. Um, and I know that they've been flying just fine and haven't been bombing the planes. So pretty good as people, <laughs> upstanding citizens. 100%. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. 100%. But not 100% in terms of like, yes, you can implicitly trust because you can still be a really, really good, safe person who has no money. Yeah. So, you know, that still is a risk element for, you know, so what I can trust you to do is not attempt to do yeah. financial fraud on the on the side. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I think fundamentally, if you think about, let's take the technology and blockchain and, and algorithms and all of that and data science and machine learning out of the picture, fundamentally, you have a, a you have an imprint as a human, mm-hmm. right? You have a you have a profile as a human being. All of these other quantifications are just representations. Are you a good person or a bad person? You know, it's like you know, are you trustworthy or are you not? So, um, to 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 use that example, like you know, yes, uh, clear has cleared me. TSA or global entry, TSA, all of that. I'm I'm cleared. I'm I'm a very safe traveler. Um, Am I a, um, uh, and then I sign up on Yield Street, like, you know, and I use that, that, let's say it's a QR code of my federated identity that has been checked by various, you know, that has been assigned various scores. And there is an aggregated score, which is a very high one, like 90 plus, which is establishing my trustworthiness and goodness as a human, right? And everything I do, if we can, if we can make that fundamental human assumption that everything I do on various platforms and various digital apps is influenced by who I am or how I am as human, then yes, I can, you know, whether, then I, I think I will be a lot more as, as a technology builder, a provider of field street. I can like, you know, if I get this high confidence, high trust level through this federated identity, um, I will, be definitely more uh, inclined. I, I I will be ready to believe that you're not going to attempt to do some kind of ACH fraud because that's just not who you are as a person, yeah. you know. So, um, so it gives me. It may still give me a, uh, you know, it may still uh, put some guardrails around what products I offer you, right? You know. The same way a credit card will, you can issue a credit card to a very nice human being who just doesn't have a high credit score. So your credit limit won't be more than $5,000. No comment on you as a human, mm-hmm. but 
you know, we cannot give you more than this credit limit, right? So those guardrails will still exist. So there will be still a bespoke, localized, contextualized, application-specific layer of guardrails that we'll still need to do. But it clears the high bar from a pure identity standpoint. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think that will be a major value. And and that that basic, are you a good human being, is a high, is because it's who you are as a person that's highly portable across Yeah travel, finance, health, all of it. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's the way I look at it. And there's one point that you're making that's very interesting and we used to do this a whole lot at the initial days of Synapse. Um yeah. which is if you can get high confidence on the human, then the other risks are low. Um so obviously we used to do that lower. Yeah. yeah. We used to do that with social media. Uh but very hard to extend it out because uh, social media by and large is very cagey with their information. So unless you could do it, we could do it fine manually. And then when it came to a point mm-hmm. where it just didn't scale because Facebook wouldn't give us enough access to the data to be able to make proper prediction. Uh, going back to this yeah. point, which extends to your point of it being more federated and maybe a consortium so that it's not one ownership stake model um, would you as a consumer yeah. feel more comfortable if this was regulated or probably not? Uh, I, I would care more, less about regulation and more about ownership. You know, if, if that makes sense. Like, it, uh, as long as you're meaning, uh, as you mean by regulation, you mean like some central yeah. federal authority, like an SEC or right. I mean, I would care less about that, honestly. Speaking as a consumer, my identity being federated, I would, I, I, I think there needs to be regulation around what you collect and how you handle the data that you're you, that you're leveraging to to assign me this good person index or whatever that we call it, um, and how you're handling that data, where you're getting it from, what are you doing with it, how you're disposing it, of like the usual data privacy. Yeah. From a privacy, data privacy standpoint, I believe the regulation would be super important. But I think it's almost one of those things that it should be a thing that it's actually an interesting. Now I'm thinking about it because there is an ongoing collect data collection that can in, that can improve just like your credit score goes up and down. Yeah. Your human score can also go up and down. Uh, maybe not down, hopefully, but, you know, the more data you gather about me and my background, maybe the... It's like, your, it's like one of the episodes in Black Mirror. Yeah. The more likes you get, <laughs> yeah, the more human you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this is like the dystopian version of the Climber with a cloud app, cloud with a K, yeah. which basically... Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's still around, but that was just like some one of the most like this the concept was so disturbing. But uh, but yeah, for, coming back to your re- regulation, I, I, I think the the data that you're tapping into to kind of make that verdict, the verdicting about me is so personal and so sensitive yeah. uh, that I believe. The handling of that data needs to be regulated to the point where actually once once it is done, ideally, the data is returned almost yeah. to me. I mean, this is like pipe dreamy thing, but like, you know, a friend of mine is building, uh, I, we may have talked about it, but the idea of the, building the startup, uh, this product, this app, where 
the whole idea is there is no centralized broker for your personal data thing, the kinds that are used yeah. to make credit determinations and stuff like that. But it's all like, it, it literally, you own it. You own it on your device. Yeah. And no one else has access to it. Shy of you uh, consenting to share it on a time uh, on a time bound basis, specific bits of data, specific time uh, time uh, time windows that they have access to it, and then you take it away. But uh, you own it. So in that sense, once that verdicting is done, ideally the data is shredded, returned to me, and it lives on my device in my digital wallet, whatever you know. This is the other a potential upside of using blockchain mm-hmm. because it's all encrypted. Uh, but but then I realized that maybe there's other packets of data that may feed in, uh, either through more discovery or more ongoing events and activity that happens that can keep kind of like revising that human score. Wow, this is like crazy directions they're going into. Like not even mention Black Mirror. It's almost like Black Mirror E stuff. Like, oh, what's my human score? Yeah, I think what's your human score and then there would be an outcry for like digital human euthanasia which is like i want to i want to eradicate my profile and start fresh <laughs> i think yeah i think uh yeah how do you how do you write off that that, that murder from like 10 10 years ago man? <laughs> and, and then you'll have uh social activists on both sides very passionate about why this is okay why this isn't and We'll be back to where we are today, <laughs> or worse, or worse, probably. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah. That is, I, I. So to your point, I think we literally arrived at. It seems like on identity side, probably a federated mechanism is far superior than. Um, yeah. But then, to your point, the ongoing yeah, fraud, federated and portable. Yeah. You know, but the ongoing trust yeah. still gets built up over time, and then you choose to or not choose to report that back yeah. into the system uh, in some form. Yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the ongoing thing needs a feedback loop and a secure storage uh, uh, and, uh, and sharing mechanism, honestly, because yeah. too many things can happen, you know? Yeah. So. How does all of this fit in now to what is a government obligation at the end of the day uh, around anti-money laundering, terrorist financing, uh, suspicious activity reporting? Uh, how much of that do you, as as a builder in the space, even even think through? And how much of this stuff is a secondary thought, not like primary as much? Uh, would love to hear your opinions on the whole construct to begin with, and then maybe a little bit more detail. I mean, like, uh, look, from in the, the space that, <clears throat> excuse me, the space that we live in, we can't really get away from that, you know? So, and, and especially with Yield Street, uh, which at, for all practical purposes, it's a marketplace, right? Yeah. It's a two-sided marketplace that connects investors looking for good investment opportunities with capital raisers who are looking to raise, uh, looking for a good distribution platform, right? To, to raise capital from. Now, uh, from a from an enterprise perspective, um, with uh, we are because we are a regulated entity, we have obviously annual audits of every kind, just like you guys, you know, because we are both in, in the same highly regulated space. We have this added um, 
layer of um, faith and trust that we need to demonstrate, not just to the auditors, but also to our counterparties and the, and the, and the partners that we work with on the other side of the marketplace who are <clears throat> looking to put their product on our platform, right? You know, so because now it's, and, and these are, if you look at some of our recent offerings, these are some of the big guys, you know, it's like Fortress and KKR and like, you know, so yeah. obviously they are not going to distribute their product through our platform unless they are a hundred percent, 110 percent convinced. And we can demonstrate to them that the investors that we're distributing this product to are not, are all good humans, you know? So, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and 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 the only way you can do that is through um, reliable uh, AML practices, both on our side and our partners like yourself. So we, we've talked yeah. about that. So so we rely on our partners um, and um, and 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 other um, um, vendors as well. And there's enough vendors in the space, as you know, uh, to um, to kind of vet, do that betting, which is why like this. The investor vetting on our side for someone because our, our platform at the end of the day is, although the company as a as an enterprise is a two sided marketplace, the technology platform really serves one side of it. It's the investor side. So yeah. um, today, at least, you know, may change in the future. But this is why it's triply important for us to go through not just the KYC and the fraud uh, from a money movement standpoint, but also a real AML OFAC background screening of every investor that comes on the platform and opens an account or and opens uh, even multiple accounts, right? So it is super important for us. And, and I think um, uh, from, a, uh, from, a, from a government oversight standpoint, like, you know, I mean, like the, the guidelines, uh, the, 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 the data sets that these screens are done against, far as I know, you know better than this, but like, I'm not an ML expert, but, but as far as I know, these, these sanction lists and these OFAC and AML lists, so they are, they are centrally managed by the government. So these are, these are the things that you are doing these checks for us and not just you, but like, you know, uh, we do, uh, on our side as well, um, for investors, as well as all of the other parties that we deal with, because it's a, it's a multi-party, uh, a, a single deal, it looks very simple. You just go in there and you put some money in it, but there's a lot of counterparties and money movements involved, both off platform and uh, and through the platform. So all of these need to be continually vetted against these, uh, uh, against these and uh, these uh, published lists and the regulated yeah. and, uh, and uh, uh, managed lists from the government. And it's an ongoing thing because we have to do this every year with every new investor, with every new partner, with every new um, uh, uh, counterparty that we work with. Yeah, yeah. I think there no getting away from it. There are two aspects to this, and one I I personally find tumultuously difficult to reconcile with uh, intellectually, and then the other one I makes total sense. I think the transaction ongoing transaction monitoring makes total sense, which is trying to monitor the activity to ensure you're not aiding and embedding something that could lead to real harm in the world. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that piece I think is very, I think it's like very rewarding to work on as well, because you know, you're making a difference and you can, you can, you can help here. Uh, the one that 
I go back and forth on is uh, the one you talked about, the very prescriptive approach uh, around um, sanction screenings. Um, because yeah, I think when it started as an idea, it was it was quite valuable. It made a whole lot of sense to be able to put a list together of uh, FBI most wanted, uh, uh, terrorists, um, known criminals. Mm-hmm. And now that list is extended into uh, uh, a, de- a device for political maneuvering, which is we will put anyone and everyone on the list that we think don't serve the interests of the government. And um, a really good example of this is Russia and Ukraine. A lot of normal, regular Russians are now yeah. barred from um, using the global financial system. But a, but a lot of the oligarchs who are actually financing this uh, have enough ways to be able to get around it and operate as usual. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to think of that. Like at, at that point, I've kind of like lost some trust in mm. the sanction system. So yeah, but I mean, this is this is the age-old problem. Like the biggest, the, the most uh, impacted victims of any kind of geopolitical uh, strife are the everyday people. Yeah. Like you know, through no fault of their own. So, but at the end of the day, like we have to stay within the legally prescribed swim lanes. Yeah. We don't have the choice. We don't really have a choice, right? Now, it would be great if we can actually have a much more granular auto generated through data by machines, not through, not by uh, government fiat, an auto generated list of these. Let, let's say the federated identity that we're talking about it at some point truly becomes global, you know, for anyone who has any kind of digital presence, which is, yeah. an, I believe, an unsolvable problem. But let's say it's all now that becomes like, you know, that that ever growing, ever uh, continually scored, centralized or decentralized, as the case okay. may be, inventory of of these identities no, that would be a great thing to test against. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm not like, this is not influenced by any government. This is just driven by like, for argument's sake, let's say it's a, it's, it is decentralized. There's some blockchain, yeah. right? <clears throat> We're just like adding these and like, you know, uh, the sing- uh, 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 every every new data point, every new event that, that we discover about a certain hash, about a certain identity creates a new transaction on the chain. And the most recent transaction is the definitive picture that the world has of a certain identity. And, and we just established rules around that, like, you know, and, and it can be multiple scores. It can be a score around, like, and then you just, every business based on what they do or what they need sets the framework for what is the cutoff, like, you know, anything above this, we, we only, we will not permit anyone below the score we, on, on this vector or that score on that vector. And, and the, uh, and this is by virtue of being decentralized, not under single government control. It's just, it's on the chain, yeah. you know, and like you're just tapping into that, you know? So that would, but come on, like, how, like it, as amazing as that would be, the people who really want to escape that will figure out a way to do yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. You know, well, cause the, the real, yeah. Well, that's where ongoing monitoring comes in as well, though. Like who people who can game, the system can be caught afterwards. Same thing, right? Like based on the pattern of behavior they're exhibiting. Um, yeah. The thing is, they will. They, this this is also this relies like they will 
I guarantee you, they will, uh, the people who have the wherewithal, the power, the money, will figure out a way to create a federated identity version of a shell company yeah. that is untraceable to the real identity, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, that's the problem. Yeah. Well, technically, you have those tumblers on the blockchain, if we're talking about blockchain, where you can just go and do swaps of transactions yeah. and come out and you wouldn't really know how the origination of money um, <laughs> from anywhere. Yeah, that's true. Um, anything cool that you think is happening in this space that is that has been interesting for you? Obviously, you talked about federated identity. Well, I heard you're coming up. Uh, I also heard about this fraud score thing that someone's working on <laughs> that I'm super, super interested oh, in. Okay. No, I mean, so we, we talked about like fraud score in the specific context of, okay, well, these are the patterns that are considered the norm. The norm this is the, the normalcy of patterns for our business. And so fraud score will, or any kind of these betting engines will, will look for deviations, right? Which if you abstract it out as a general purpose thing here's a pattern and here's here's an event is it does it here's a series of events does it fit the pattern or not so there is there is a there are some there's a partner that we work with on account uh, on account takeover protection that is actually the engine that they're building is a fairly portable general purpose uh, engine they can detect de it's pattern deviation, mm -hmm. right? So you can like we feed them a, a training set of patterns, and then they can they can. Uh, uh, so it's super curious to see what what else we can throw at yeah. it that they can detect detect a deviation and and give us a verdict on. So so that's one. There's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on, but like within the context of what we're chatting about, like I think um, I. I'm still in, in, in search of the, the perfect blend yeah. of the perfect, uh, compromise between, uh, UX and safety when it comes to these, these three key things, because, you know, it's, it's tough to, <clears throat> it's, it's tough to, there's only so far UX can take you. You need something, you know, you need something that is actually, uh, Legitimately going to reduce friction without them, without compromising the the security of the operation or the person. Yeah, you know. So, well, with that, we can probably wrap it. Any final thoughts? Yeah, this was awesome. Uh, I'm sure we've uh, still left a bunch of material on the plate for the subsequent uh, chats, either on the Yield or on the Synapse podcast. But yeah, look forward to the next one, man. This is great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful evening. And you too. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Under the Hood. And a special thanks to our guests as well. If you like the podcast, please go to synapsefi.com slash under the hood to subscribe. Thanks again. See you next time. Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monster, your go-to for engaging marketing content like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast. It's your marketing powerhouse. 
Visit contentmonsta.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com.